When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Backpacking Podcast. As always, John Kelly here with Jeremiah Stringer. And man, Jeremiah, it has been an interesting ride up to this point tonight. We are starting 15 minutes late, 10 minutes late, something like that. Uh, <laughs> you would think the person in Central Kentucky would be, or Central uh, Central America would be the person struggling with all of this, but it's actually the people in Central Kentucky struggling right now with getting this live stream up and running. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> I, w- I was going to say, your internet down in Somerset is just giving you fits. And uh, for some reason, our 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 live stream was unlisted on YouTube. And so uh, nobody got to see that we were actually running. We started the last one up, and there was nobody on. And then I saw a bunch of people hitting, like they were hitting the refresh button over and over again. And the comments already... Um, is Jeremiah driving again? Uh, no, no, it's not Jeremiah's fault this time. Um, also, uh, the next question, whoa, technical difficulties. Who's driving tonight? Man, everybody's just like, (laughs) here's the best one though. This wouldn't happen if Jeremiah sold merch and used it and used the money he made to upgrade equipment. (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) Uh, One last thing. Um, if you happen to watch Dixie's video this week, um, she had an awesome video just about strange gear and wait jeff peters actually commented did you see dixie gave the poop hammock a mention and uh i made sure i commented on that video and she said she did that so we would see it so she was hoping we'd all see that which was really cool uh love dixie she's fantastic glad to see everybody on here right now uh jeremiah tonight we have a fantastic fantastic guest Oh, there's so many things I want to know. I know. I know. She is currently uh, hiking basically the from the southernmost tip of the world that she can to the northernmost tip of the world that she can in one through hike. And uh, she started this in 2017. She's still going strong. This is someone who's giving basically their life to a hike. Uh, 30,000 kilometers. How many miles is that, Jeremiah? 30,000 well, kilometers. 30,000 kilometers yeah. is 18,600 miles. 18,600 miles. That is, is that longer than the American Perimeter Trail? Uh, the American yeah, Perimeter Trail is 14,000, like, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I wow. think it's a little bit longer. It's a little bit longer. This 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 lady's not messing around, man. So I think it's time we quit playing around and we bring on the person everybody's here to see. And that is our our new good friend, Miss Lucy Barnard. How are you doing? Great. It's so good to be here. And know that eighteen thousand is a guess. I mean, I've been lost so many times now and had to reroute so often that it's probably further. Yeah, you're probably gonna get like twenty five thousand. Like by the end of this thing with all the probably 
reroutes and having to go back and do things. And it, it's probably a lot. Yeah, and I'm using, like, to measure, I just use my map. So sometimes I've used a watch and it's more accurate. And every day there's maybe 5K more. So, I mean, you know, it's just a long way. Yeah. Okay, so question for you. we got to know this. How does a girl from Australia end up hiking from Argentina to Alaska? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even happen? know through hiking was a thing. So for me to... <laughs> decided to do this is absolutely ridiculous but I was on a bus in Patagonia and it was a really long trip and I was so bored and so to get off the bus that I looked out the window and imagined I could go fast I was walking and then I was like hang on a second I wonder if you can walk to North America from here and I googled it and I'd seen that someone had done it the year I was born and I was like, well, that's a long time ago. Who else has done it? And since then, I've learned that every year four people start the trip, but rarely does anyone get past the first year. There's been maybe three other men that have done something similar. There's a guy from the United States who has a speed record for it, which is highly impressive, and I'm not going to come close to that. But there were no women. So I was like, well, someone's got to give it a go. I'm just going to, just for the fun of it, see how far I get. And I really didn't think I'd get this far, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you sent us a message maybe a month or two ago, and it was just like, "Hey, I would love to chat with you guys." And you were telling me I'm I'm going to be the first woman to hike all of South America. And I said, "So when did you get that done?" You're like, "Oh, that was three weeks ago." Now I'm in Central America, and so you've already broken records. You're already doing things that other women haven't done. What does that feel like for you? I mean, it's pretty cool, but also it's really hard to imagine looking back at the map that I've walked all that way. I mean, obviously I know that I have, and I remember all the places that I've been to, but because I really just think about getting to the next town and I never try and overwhelm myself with the vastness of what I'm doing, I mean, it just seems like another day. That's crazy. So how many do you, I mean, you may not know this answer, but you may know this answer. How many days have you been on trail now? I couldn't tell you. I really, I have no idea. I know that I've been, I started in 2017 and I had two years off because of the pandemic. I know that there's been periods where I haven't been able to walk because I've had to resupply and my gear got stolen several times trying to get it to me in Chile. So there's been moments of downtime, but um, I've just, know that consistently I've been walking for three years. Wow. That's insane. Now, 2020, we all know what happened in 2020. And we know that um, there was no way for you to hike during that, uh, especially in Central America. There were so, or South America and Central America, there's so many shutdowns with things going on there. Um, tell me a little bit about the situation that happened when you finally had to come off the trail. Yeah, it was really tough. Um, I mean, first of all, I hike with the dog and for me, it was an absolute betrayal to leave him behind. And the reason that I decided to come home was firstly, I had somewhere safe to put him. I had someone that was a dog trainer willing um, to take good care of him and I paid them so to ensure that they had somewhere to live. So it was a really beautiful um, situation for the both of us to have that sort of security. Um, but it wasn't until, I was in the south of Colombia. It's, Colombia is a beautiful place and somewhere I will 
always cherish, but there are areas that aren't as secure as others. And I was in a poor area and um, people live day by day from food that they sell. And so people were going hungry because they couldn't leave their houses to make money each day. And to show that they were in stress and to ask for the help of their neighbours, they would hang a red sheet in their front window to say, we need help. But very quickly, full neighbourhoods were hanging red sheets from their windows. And I just knew that as a foreigner and someone who still struggles with Spanish, it wasn't safe for me to stay. I also realised, you know, I didn't really know how long I'd be home for. I hoped it would only be a few months. But there was no way of knowing when I would start running into problems with visas and that once I could move again, if I'd be able to hike all the way through Colombia because I'd only just passed in, um, or if I'd have to go back to Peru and wait out the year or whatever it is that I had to do. So going home was the best thing to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what? where is home for you? I mean, I, mean, I could tell by your accent, but I mean, where is home for you? I come from Brisbane in Australia, but I, I mean, everyone moves around a lot. So I've lived in all sorts of different places, but Australia is definitely home for me. And so when I was reading about you uh, having to come off the, uh, having to come off the trail, um, the issue that you were kind of dealing with was that you could only leave your room like twice a week or every other week. What was the, what was the deal with that? Yeah, so depending on what the last number of your passport was or your ID number, you could go for three hours directly to a supermarket or to a chemist or a doctor. And because I am clearly not Colombian, every time I left the apartment, I would be checked multiple times to see if I understood where I was going, what I was doing. And, you know, it was a traveler's disease here. That's how they considered it. So people were really scared of me. They'd cross the street. I got kicked out of a town when I first got into Colombia by the mayor. <laughs> um, so By was, the mayor you know, of the town? Yeah, and it was too late. I'd already been hanging out with everyone at that point. People had been so lovely. But, you know, they're just so – and he didn't realize, and I couldn't really convey because – I can't practice Spanish when I'm in the mountains in remote rural areas. There's no one to practice with. So I couldn't explain, listen, I've been here for years and I've just come out of the Amazon and I have been in touch with no one. If anyone is of risk of passing on COVID to anyone, it is not me. Like <laughs> I'm yeah, you're the not, safest you're not person. Getting it. You're not getting it from monkeys or something. Like that's not, that's not happening. No. no, but they were scared and I understood. Like I, I you know, and I think every – everywhere had these stories of people behaving badly and um, not being particularly kind to each other. So I, I was okay with it. Like the, and the people I was staying with, they knew what my story was and they thought it was outrageous. And so that was all I needed, just a little bit of care and love. And um, I was quite comfortable. But, yeah, I mean, not being able to leave. I was in a hostel in a room and not being able to walk when I was so used to hiking I think the most difficult thing is that at night I got restless leg syndrome. So my legs would burn. I could feel the muscles rotting off my bones. Like it just was really uncomfortable. And I would try skipping during the day, but there's only so long you can do that. I, and I tried, I taught Wombat, my dog, how to skip, but it was just, he'd get so frustrated. He'd chew the rope up and it was really, 
it wasn't gonna last. Now, what were you what were you able to do as far as the your dog being able to go to the bathroom? I mean, if you couldn't leave the room, I mean, was he using the bathroom then in the room? Is that what was happening? No, I, I snuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Smart move. Smart really quick and then i'd come back in and you know i think the neighbors like i was dubbed in once for being a foreigner that was being harbored in a house and that got sorted and i think after that people understood that my dog had to go to the toilet so i didn't get dubbed in for that but i wasn't allowed to take him up to the basketball courts and throw a ball for him oh yeah yeah so you didn't get to play that's rough there's a question really for you hot. on here, and I want I want to see this one. This is a friend of ours, Tuba Solo the Hiker. He says, I only have one question. What cook kit does the hiker who hikes 18,000 miles use? Lucy's answer will settle the question for all eternity. <sighs> oh, my gosh. I kind of missed some of that, but I can see it here. What cook kit? Oh, no. This is going to be upsetting for many people. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. Tell us all about it. Okay. When I started, I was really inexperienced and green. So I had a pack with 30 kilos worth of rubbish in it. Like, I mean, solar panels. And I had an MSR whisper light and two bottles of fuel because I might run out and go hungry. And, like, it was ridiculous. And then later I moved into gas. But you can't really buy gas easily in south america except in the patagonia region and then um but I, it's really nice to be able to cook and make food and then ultimately i just got rid of it because it was too hard and i can't always buy food it's not like i can have variety i can't get dry food freeze-dried dehydrated anything really all i can eat is rice with oil on it oh wow so i, I quit cooking and now i just eat bread biscuits wow. and a piece of fruit so what's limiting wow. the the diet is it just access availability to food? okay you can get things that pack light um you can cook i mean i could you know if i really wanted to i'm sure i could make it work but it was just an extra stress that ultimately i found i was buying dry food and now i'm in central america it's not even a and thought, of course, I'm not going to carry a kitchen because every day I'm passing shops. So I just walk to food, buy it, eat it, go. Um, when I'm in the States, I imagine that I'll go back to having like a Soto Whisper Light with a gas canister. But I'm so still learning because I've just invented all of this stuff myself because I have been like completely inexperienced i know i've seen people on videos i think i've seen dixie using her mug to cook out of but i'm like that's how do you put enough food in there to eat anyway so um <laughs> well i mean i'm always like when i'm in the states it's going to be so easy because there's going to be like these apps that tell you where the food is to buy and the trail where the trail goes and i'm not going to arrive in a town that's a ghost town and has been abandoned i'm really looking forward to it and i'm really looking forward to eating all of the food yeah i there's you're definitely going to have better choices of food once you get up to california that's for sure is now is that where you're going to enter into the states is through california then are you going up the West Coast? <laughs> I, 
I really hope so. But the thing that I've learned on this hike is any plan that I make is destroyed on the day one. So <laughs> I would like to do the PCT, but maybe something is going to happen in Mexico and I'll end up on the wrong side of the state. I don't really know. I just would very much like to do that. I also am hiking with a dog. And I don't know if he can come through there with me. So if that's the situation, then I would do the CDT. Yeah. I was going to say that either one you're doing is a great trail. And then I think when you get to the CDT, the GDT connects right to it in Canada. And yes, so, I saw that. Yeah. So you've got some options that are pretty cool for you when you get up there. Yeah. And, you know, even if I do the PCT and it doesn't connect directly to that trail, I'd probably just walk over there anyway to do it because it's, it looks so beautiful. I mean, I'd rather walk in longer to get to beautiful places than have to gruel my way along a, yeah. a road. Yeah. Well, and like like you said, when you get into the States, there'll be a lot of – trail magic's going to be awesome for you. Like, you're going to be in heaven when you start getting trail magic, I think. I have dreams about it. I am <laughs> – like, I just love that there is such a good culture of hiking. <laughs> oh, man. But there's magic here, you know, people, I'm now, so I've just passed through an area that's really considered to be quite a dangerous region. It is. It's not considered to be. It is dangerous. Um, and since passing through there, I'm now in a region where there's a lot of refugees who are passing through. And I just can't believe the number of people who have stopped to see if I am one, if I need help, if I need to be driven somewhere, they give me water, they give me um, Powerade and food that's delicious. There's a, in Panama is just the most loving culture or at least the most outgoing loving culture I have been in yet. Every other country I've been in, there have been people who have been helpful and been willing to go above and beyond. But this is certainly far more overt. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, uh, like I said, I was in uh, I was in Honduras just last year, and there's a good chance you'd probably end up hiking through there. And I know it's I know it's risky, like it's a scary place, honestly, because of just it's Central America. It is what it is. Um, why don't you tell people uh, you we talked before we started, and I asked you you look like you wear a wedding ring whenever you're hiking. Can you explain to everybody why you would wear a wedding ring when you're not married while hiking on trail? I mean, for me, it's just a easy solution from harassment. So if I'm asked by a group of men or people that I don't feel comfortable with, um, if I'm alone, rather than telling them I'm alone, I tell them that my husband is in the town ahead. Um, and then some local men told me that I should also say that he's from the country that I'm in because it shows that the consequences are closer and it did make a difference. So... People really respect marriage here and they really are listening when I tell them that my husband's from Medellin. Uh, and it just also means sometimes if I don't, you know, sometimes you've got a walking flow and you don't want your muscles to go cold. So if I don't want to stop and ha answer the same old question, I can just say, look, my husband's waiting for me. I'm running late and he's really going to be upset with me. And they're like, of course, you shouldn't be running. You shouldn't be keeping your husband waiting. And off I go. <laughs> That's so smart. That's so smart. I think we all know a waitress who wears a who wears a ring when she works at, at at the restaurant because she gets hit on by weirdos. So I mean, I can't imagine how much that really must help out when you're out there like that. 
So, okay. So you're hiking through places like Colombia that are known for cartels and you're getting ready to go through Central America where some of the worst gangs in the world are. You're brave. First off, you're one of the most brave women I think I've ever met in my life. Um, what things do you do to kind of avoid the pitfalls of running into some of those shady characters? Yeah, I mean, in Colombia and Panama, the police are um, really helpful. So I know that this is going to change as I head further north, but I mean, I'll just switch to talking to locals instead. I ask them if they can tell me what regions are safe, what aren't, if I'm I show them where I plan to walk and if that's recommendable or if I need to change it. I also do things like um, if I'm in a populated area and it's not as secure, I won't walk past 3 p.m. because everywhere around the world that 3 p.m., 3 to 4 p.m. is mugging hour. So it's good not to be on the road then. I also... See, what time was that again? What times did you between, say those were? It's like commuting hour between 3 and 4 p.m. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, so, I, yeah, it's amazing. There's all these things that I've picked up along the way. And then I guess I, if I'm staying in a tent, now I probably won't do this so much in Central America, but at the moment I'm making my tent either really far off the road where no one can see me. I try and make it up above eye level because people rarely, when they're looking for something, they rarely lift their eyes above their eye line. I never use my torch at night. I always am in bed and have, well, you know, I'm ready to sleep before sundown. And I and I do things like that. It also helps that I have a dog that looks like a, you know, people think he looks like a wolf here. And I'd say, yeah, he's really a very jealous dog. I don't, I can't control him. He's my husband's. Be careful, he bites. <laughs> so I, I, I create this whole story, but I'm really, you know, it's not like I'm just walking with my head in the, I mean, I know that I'm whimsical and cheerful and whatnot, but I really do practice some serious research, you know, like for example, in Mexico, every year the government releases where the hotspots are and they provide the crime rates publicly. So I can have a look and analyze what the risks are to help inform which trail I follow and there are some great trails I use resources like the bike packing resources that people put where they show where they've run into trouble and um, recently I mean I've had so many police escorts uh, to make the hike safer in regions where I have to worry about armed gangs or I mean I wouldn't go in a area that's chockers full of gorillas because you know that's assassination territory but I am always doing everything that I can as pragmatically as possible to mitigate the risk and I don't often feel fear because I know that all of those moving parts are things that I've tried to control wherever possible to make it as secure as I can and not to forget people live in these areas and they don't not, no harm comes to them so it's just a matter of really understanding it from their perspective and trying to blend in. I'm not flashing around cameras or anything. like. Actually, all of my equipment's defaced with tape and it looks like it's been broken and repaired, even though it's not, so that I look less enticing. Wow, smart. that's a smart move. <laughs> yeah, they've got no brands on anything. It's all, it's been torn and cut and shaved and yeah. So Jeremiah, you you're finally looking great, man. You pro you look the best you've looked all night. I have been hogging this entire thing. 
Um, why don't you? Do you have any questions? I know you had a list of questions you wanted to ask. Why don't you uh, take a few minutes here, and I'll shut up for a little bit. Oh, you're good, man. I just want to make sure the audio is, is great for everybody. So uh, I was patiently waiting for my connection to get better. But <laughs> I want to go back to something that you said, and I think Doc commented on this. Converting 30 kilograms to pounds is 66 pounds, which is a really, really heavy backpack. What What were the – oh, she's a Hoosier commented that. Sorry. Um, what were the main things that you ditched first that you were like, oh, my gosh, why did I bring this? This is so stupid. So embarrassing. There's even a video that I made on YouTube where I'm like, someone says that my back is, you know, my pack is heavy because I'm a girl. And I really don't think so. I think I've got it down to a fine art. And now I look at that and I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's so embarrassing. Um, yeah, I mean, I had a solar panel and a battery that was, I never used the solar panel because I was in the south of Patagonia where there's clouds, so you can't even recharge on it. And then I had this Sherpa, you know, I was just given these things, so I felt like I really had to use them. So that was like three kilos gone as soon as I ditched it. Um, but it took a long time for me to be okay with wastefully, I mean, I didn't throw it out. I've given these things to people who need them. It took a long time to give myself permission to do that. I also had things like an art kit because I thought I'd have time to paint. And, you know, when you see people who go and travel and they have these beautiful journals, I've never had time to do I'm, like, too exhausted for that. Um, and I can't even imagine. I mean, I've only ever had two sets of clothes, so it was definitely not my clothes that was what was originally suggested was the reason my pack was so heavy. Um, I think I did have maybe, like, a pair of booties or something like just down booties because it was minus 20 also i mean yeah it was minus 20 so i had like a really heavy tent to keep me warm and i had a minus 20 sleeping bag which weighed about two kilo and you're gonna have to help me out with the pound was that was that minus was that minus 20 center like degrees celsius celsius okay yeah that's um that's cold negative four negative four that's cold yeah, I took my hand like I took my hand out of my glove to take a photo of the beautiful penumbra, which is like where the on the horizon you can see the colours changing. Um, and it took me a few seconds to take that photo, and then it took hours for my the, the pain in my fingers to go away. Just crazy. Yeah, it can't, when it's cold like that, it's miserable. And the you... wind, the wind in Patagonia—that's what gets you. It's just unrelenting oh wow i was watching some of your videos and it seemed like you were pretty stuck on a closed cell phone pad in addition to your inflatable pad which <laughs> there's no shame here it's your gear no you can do whatever you want and you it's your path so hack it however you want um I, it's just so hard because i don't i can't see what other people do you know like I've just had to work it out. It's like I'm reinventing every, it's just crazy. Whereas if I was walking with people who are seasoned hikers and I could observe what they're doing and maybe try for two weeks not having something, knowing that I could get it back. Whereas here, if you, like I can't, I can't. Like if once it's gone, it's forever gone. Um, that would be useful. Yeah. Well, I think that it's not too bad of an idea to have that. Like a lot of backpackers will bring the closed cell phone pad just because it's extra warmth and like 
you're where you're hiking it's probably not super easy to get patch kits for your uh, inflatable pad it probably comes with one maybe two and if you had to repair it you could be screwed and then you're stuck sleeping on that closed cell foam pad uh, but i think it gives you a lot of protection on the bottom of your pad like it makes it a lot less likely for it to pop and at those temperatures you were talking about i mean that would be negative four fahrenheit would be a super cold night you know if you're laying there yeah and you're just on that close cell phone pad i feel like it's not warm enough yeah that's why i have it but i mean now i'm in central america so it's hot <laughs> i don't have that same excuse but certainly it's like i mean i'm so reliant on travelers who are willing to drag replacement gear out to me and then find me in the middle of nowhere so that they can give me new shoes and replace whatever's being broken so i should just trust that it'll all work out but that's that foam pad is still one i actually think like i have a um car windshield now that weighs maybe a third and i can roll it up and sit on that and it, i don't know like i'm kind of thinking of ditching the the pad and using that instead well, what is it you're going to use instead you know the things that you put on the windscreen of your car to block out the sun? Oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, with the reflectix on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then okay. I can also use it for shade when it's really hot in the middle of the day. But, I mean, I don't know. I just hate having my feet on rocks and when you make your tent wherever you can make it. I often have to be on a cow paddock and it's like, you know, there's heaps of those holes in the ground. Yeah. Um, but I mean, also, again, if I'm going to be in high populated areas, it's going to get to the point where I have to start staying in accommodation. So uh, it's hard to know what to do. All I know is when you first said that, I thought you said you were bringing a windshield with you, like as in a big piece of glass. And then I'm sitting, I'm sitting here, I'm listening and I'm going, this can't be true at all there's no way that's why i had to ask i was like i gotta find out what she what she meant by that but now we're good we're good um (laughs) let me share some comments with you because we got some good comments in here that that people have have, uh shared um tree right said medellin was a cartel controlled city right did you go through there yes i'm here right now actually picking up my dog i mean yeah once upon a time it was but actually it's a really um well activated modernized city now and people who are from here will say that the best thing and worst thing about colombia is its people but it's the few who are wrecking it i feel secure here it's not like i'm going to be holding out my phone waiting for someone to drive past and rip it out of my hand but again i mean i read a comment on um one of the, there were groups. So when you go traveling, you can join the expat groups or whatever. And there was someone who'd written that they'd just booked a flight to Colombia, but they'd read about all of the bad things that happen and should they change their, their flight to somewhere else and where should they go? And someone, one of the expats who lives here said, listen, literally millions of tourists arrive to Colombia every year without getting shot. You're gonna be fine. Yeah. And it's true, it's true. Like. There is visas here where you can live for two years and work from home. So if you have a job in the country that you're from, you can live here and it's very financially beneficial to you because it's cheaper to live here, right? Um, And I would highly consider doing that because I love Colombia. I love the people. I just, I like the food. I like, 
I like the experience, so I can really see myself being here. And I think it's just that we're so used to that knee-jerk reaction of feeling like it's we've been told that it, there's drugs and there's militia. Yeah, there are places you don't go. Like, it's not Medellin, but there are small areas in certain mountainous regions where mm -hmm. you... I mean, police would probably stop you before you even got there. That's how serious it is about not going there. But there are just a few small areas. And otherwise, everyone who lives here does so, and they do so safely. Well, and I think that's in any city. I mean, you can't mm. go to certain parts of New York City at night either, you know, here in, here in the States. Um, it really – and the problem is we get numbers. Like, this is how many people die every year. What we don't realize is most of that is gang warfare, or cartel warfare. That's between two warring groups or fighting groups. It's it's not the everyday person walking down the street that's that that's happening to a lot of times. It's usually crime related, and that that's where those deaths are coming from. And so that can that can definitely skew things a little bit. Absolutely. So. I mean, and yes, we're not particularly good at understanding numbers. Um, generally speaking unless you're a mathematician what that really truly means but it also shouldn't stop you from practicing vigil vigilance you know if you're going to travel have insurance so that if someone does want to mug you you don't think twice about handing your phone over hand your phone over it's not worth being stabbed for and then make an insurance claim big deal you're really pr privileged to be able to do that um yeah i mean be smart about it. Yep, absolutely. So here's another question somebody had. Um, it says she's going to hit Canada at the beginning of winter. I mean, maybe I don't do, know. <laughs> I was like, do you do you know when you're going to hit Canada? I the way your hike has been, I don't think there's any guarantees of when you're going to get anywhere. Is there? Correct. I have never. But I mean, honestly. <sighs> that's a part of this game, you know. It's there. There are some awesome women from the United States who recently walked, paddled and cycled the length, like pretty much exactly what I'm doing. And for them, because they weren't doing a consistent travel, they, when the weather got bad, they could go ahead and then walk back towards where they're up to, whereas I'm doing something that's consistently moving through. And that's part of the game is right now I'm trying to race myself forward so I don't get hit by the monsoon season, for example. Um, but if I get there in winter, I mean, either I just have to toughen up <laughs> or um, get back onto the road or, you know, I just have to be really adaptable. I mean, ultimately, when I'm hiking across to that final town, Utqiagvik in Alaska, it's going to be probably winter so I can use the ice road. Or if I am really lucky, it's still going to be very cold. Yeah. Well, and then we got one that's more of an encouragement for you than a question. And that's that Lucy will get plenty of looks at other people's gear once she gets into the U.S. Because backpackers in the U.S. are gearheads. Especially I know. Like the PCT, the CDT. You're going to have people from all over the place looking for you, honestly. Because that's I, – I don't think you're going to have any problem getting to see new gear. Like, <laughs> like I said before, you're probably going to get your hands on some great trail magic once people know you're in the area. You'll probably even get put up in houses and stuff if you need a night. I mean, just get ready. I'm looking forward to you getting the United States. It's going to be a little bit different experience than South America and Central America. Me too. And I think it's going to be so frustrating that I'm going to finally learn all of these tricks and I'm going to be nearly finished. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you're still talking thousands of miles. I mean, we're it, maybe you're almost finished in the grand scheme of things, but that's still thousands of miles you're be, you're going to be hiking. So let's end strong, you know, with some great new gear and you know, yeah. And I'm not going to stop hiking either once I get to Alaska, you know, yeah. so when this is finished, I'm, I will, there's so many wonderful places that I want to go and experience. So it, it will be really lovely to finally get some <laughs> guidance. That's not, uh, you know, they say that Australians ute pack, which is a ute is like a truck in the United States. And it's kind of like we use our backpacks like a ute and we just shove everything in that we can fit. And it's kind of when you, and we buy things to last forever because that's just what we're told as kids. You know, you've got a, the one thing that you buy now you should have when you're a grandparent. And so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever works for you. That's great. It so doesn't work though. It like nearly killed me. I, I mean, honestly, I'm so glad that my pack is now much lighter than it was when I started. That's great. Jeremiah wrote down a great question about water filtering. I'm going to let him kind of talk about that a little bit, but the, I, I, I am curious about something. So go ahead, Jeremiah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, first of all, I saw that you have like a dirty water bottle and then I saw that you were using a SteriPen and you're using a filter. I didn't catch what kind of filter you're using, but what's, am I wrong on that? Yeah, I mean, I think in when I was in Argentina, you know, like four years ago, a friend of mine gave me one because they were like, I'm leaving Argentina and you need a backup. You know, like I had so many, it was just so bad. I had, because it gets <laughs> cold. So if you don't sleep with your equipment, it freezes and then the filter's ruined. So that was kind of the rationale, right? But right now I have a soya squeeze filter. And I mean, I have a dirty bottle, but I just drink out of it and refill it. It's not like I'm sitting there squeezing it into like one thing and then into the other. The only reason I would do that is if I was worried about viruses and I now have a light that cleans. I've got like a, a light that goes on top of my Nalgene bottle and it floods the water with UV to kill any of the bacteria and um, viruses. So really now the only reason I'd be using the SteriPen, which I mean the, the soy filter is because the water is full of poo or mud or, and I, you know, like who wants to drink that? So yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And I was curious also about like the water sources. Like I, I do a lot of backpacking in, in the Appalachian mountains here in the States and there's just a lot of creeks and rivers and that kind of stuff. Where are your main water sources as you've been walking along? Do you get it in the cities? Are there little creeks that you're hitting along the way or just random like runoff from the rain? Or are you catching it in something overnight outside your tent? Like how do you normally get all your water? Um, rivers, really. Um, I, re I mean, I've just walked through Panama City and that's the first city I've ever hiked through because I will reroute and try and be more remote because I feel like that's safer in terms of human interference. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll get water from rivers um, and clean it. Or now that it's more populated, I just pick up water as I go. Um, or 
maybe people will give it to me when I pass their house I'll ask them if I can take water from their tap and then they're really grossed out because they're like you don't drink you like you have to buy water here and I'm like it's okay I can clean it so long as there's no chemicals they're probably really confused like (laughs) drinking this dirty water Uh uh-huh and there's no way they can afford the price of the filters in in these countries it's just crazy yeah that's nuts that's nuts well let me ask you this um have you gotten sick from any water while being on this trip so far yes i have but i feel like you want to save that story to the end oh that's gonna okay that's gonna be our the story for the end okay she's just (laughs) just for our our, our listeners and viewers who who know what's coming at the end of this this show uh, she has been warned forewarned about what she has to talk about and she apparently has a great story for us so uh i will tell you since you're asking about getting sick you know i was in ecuador and um i usually like so you know if you pack something deep into your bag it means that it stays cooler or at least that's my thinking so i love cheese and when I'm higher in altitude, like in mountains, I'll pack cheese and eat it over several days. So I had been given like three blocks of cheese by this lady who just like loved what I was doing and she loved cheese too. So I was full of cheese. And um, on the last day before getting to a town, I was like, oh, I'm down to my last block, but it's looking a little bit moist, but I'm gonna like just have a look and see and it smelled all right, it tastes okay and I just kept walking and ate like I ate only a third of it. But then within twenty minutes I was like <laughs> it doesn't seem right. And one of the things that happens in South America is there's a lot of abandoned houses, more so in the really southern areas, but it just happened that I as I was walking, I could see this house in the distance and I've got an eye for them now. So I was like, I think it's an abandoned house and I need it. So I like did everything I could to get to that house. And then just as I like crawled through the fence to get in and see that it was abandoned, I managed to get behind, I mean, like a national park. So there's not much traffic, but I had just enough time to get behind a tree to do the first vacating of poison. Um, And then the vomiting started, which is, you know, it's typical. But it felt wrong, like it tasted like metal, not like food point. It was really, I couldn't work it out. And then my dog did something really, like he normally likes to sleep. Maybe he'll cuddle if it's cold, but he usually is on at my feet. And if I'm in an abandoned house, he's definitely got his own space. But he kept coming and sitting on my stomach, which would then make me have to get up and vomit again. And we did this all night. And I've got meds, so I, like, tried to pop um, a Ondansetron to calm down the vomiting. But my stomach was really uncomfortable, and he just kept going for it. And so, anyway, I the next day I get up, and I'm, like, I'm going back into the – I caught a bus to get to the city. And on the way to getting to that bus, you know, like, I had to go in the middle of a road. And fortunately, no one saw me. I don't know how that happened. That was just, like, a gift from God. And then I get on this bus. And the police come to search through the bus and this man is like, oh, you've got, like, he recognized the breed of dog and he was excited. But then he gave me this disgusted look and left really quickly. And I'm like, that was weird. Whatevs. Anyway, I get into my friend's car who came to pick me up 
from the bus stop in the city. And I said to her, my feet are really uncomfortable. Do you mind if I take my shoes off? And she's like, it couldn't get any worse. So I was just like disgusting. Like I just stunk. And what had happened is I had gotten food poisoning. And then the pharmacist asked me when the last time was that I wormed myself, which, by the way, was like when I was seven years old because that's not something normal <laughs> to me to have to do. Yeah. Um, so then I'd, what I'd had, because I was sick, I had an infestation of amoebas just overtake my body and my stomach was kind of like a, a six- to seven-month pregnant woman, like really, and that's, I think, why Wombat was so eager to get on top of my stomach. And then um, I had had done a few courses of, antibiotics to clean myself up at this point and I went to the doctor and I said look they're not in pain but there's something going on with my feet can you just take a look at them because I just have a feeling something's wrong and I undid my shoelaces and opened up the tongue of my boot and he said don't take your shoe off do your laces back up you've got foot rot so I've been hiking for three months through Ecuador and it's wet. It rains every day. And I just was used to walking, but it's like it had been hot and cold and every day I'd take my clothes off. And even if they, I wasn't rained on that day, they were wet from just sweat, which is my least favourite thing to do is put on wet clothes in them. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's anyway, so you can imagine my socks were always wet. And over that period of time, I just... Yeah, it was pretty, like, no big deal. It's not like the skin had broken open and it was gangrenous or anything. But it was definitely really great that I ate the bad cheese that then gave me the amoeba infestation that then showed the doctor that I had (laughs) trench work and really loving of my friend to let me, like, take all my clothes and leave them at the front of her house and then go and have a shower and stay. And, like, you know, she let me sleep in, like, a beautiful bed with white sheets. <laughs> I'd be like, you sleep outside with the dog. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, here in the States, I think we call that trench foot. And yeah, uh, it's it's so bad. Um, I had a friend that had it, and it was awful. It was awful. So I can't imagine being in a third-world country – and finding that you have that and oh my goodness well i'm glad you're still hiking like oh yeah i mean it was just a bad day <laughs> man the doctor told you to lace your boot back up and then what what happened next oh um he wrote a, a prescription for a antifungal cream that i had to use and another round of antibiotics and then i went back and um, to my friend's house where I had a shower and I had to just keep my feet dry and take some time off. Wow. That is crazy. Well, we got a few comments. People are, are enjoying the conversation right now. Um, let's see if I can find it. Somebody was commenting, uh, Derek Hughes said, my mate went to Columbia and said it was one of his favorite backpacking stays. The place and the people were beautiful. He said the architecture in Lima looked like communist Eastern Europe. Yeah, so, yeah. there's great. like a heap of European influence all the way right down through Argentina. In fact, Argentina has the best bread I've eaten anywhere because it's, you know, they really they make it fresh every day and everything isn't sold. They give it to the street dogs and it's, it's amazing. Wow. Um, Steve Wright asked, have you talked about crossing the Darien Gap? I've 
mentioned it briefly, but um, yeah, I crossed the Darien Gap two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Now, can you explain to people who are listening and watching, what, what is the Darien Gap? Okay, so um, the Pan-American Highway runs all the way from North America right down to the bottom of South America, um, and there's an area in between where it's like a funnel bottleneck between Panama and Colombia. There's about 70 kilometres worth of space where the road doesn't go, and that's for several reasons. The modern reason that it's not built is because of the preservation of the nature within this jungle. It's really precious and valuable. There's a lot of endangered or threatened species in there. Um, and then along the beaches, you can't go that way because it's nesting area, leatherback turtles. So, yeah, it's mainly for that, but also it was, it's an area of where there's a lot of drug trafficking, human trafficking and gorillas. The FARC used to be based in there, but they've since this just been disassembled um, but then there are new groups that are going on so it's really not a safe place just to go for a stroll um, again there are a lot of indigenous communities that live there and have no problems so to pass through what I had done is and you can't do this just because you want to you know like you need to be introduced to the right people and you need to have a good reason to go through there and travel doesn't cut it really. So um, I had met the elders of different community groups. I'd worked with them over two years to get permission to be able to pass through their communities and had guides lined up who were guides, not coyotes, because the coyotes who take people through are horrific. You know, they will rob people. There are awful stories of rape and theft and mutilation you, mm. you know it's not it's it's serious um and so when i arrived i had coordinated to do that but in the meantime um the border patrol police had found out about what i was doing and they were very uneasy about it so i lent on some diplomacy contacts to meet with their the boss of what's known as center front and in the end, I crossed through with seven armed guards looking after me to make sure that wow. I could get through. Wow. Yeah, it was, an, it was an absolute privilege, but also an eye-opener because, you know, I felt sometimes frustrated that to hear that the community, the Indigenous communities were take, charging a toll for... for people who are refugees to pass through. And then I realised as I was walking through, the reason they need to do that is because um, the jungle has now been completely contaminated with rubbish because these people are house locked. So when they then travel through this jungle, they're not equipped for hiking and they're not fit and um, it's really hard for them. So they end up ditching all of their clothes and worldly possessions and usually end up leaving with nothing just to get through to the other side. And wow. because of that, all of the water sources have been contaminated. So now these communities have to organise to have water shipped into them for them to be able to have anything to drink. So that to me makes sense. And it's, you know, if, depending on who you talk to, they might tell you that the price, what the price is, but I was there and I've asked and I know that it's, it's tender. So it's not outrageous. Um, and then um, in certain areas, Indigenous community leaders are allowed to guide through to help minimise the harm. 
um, and to help ensure safety. So they charge about $50 to take people through and it can take five to seven days for people who aren't used to hiking to get through those regions. And they'll charge about $100 to be a porter if someone wants their bags carried. But at any point, you could come across someone that's um, trafficking armed weapons toward Colombia who they might rob them. Oh, I mean, wow. there's just so many videos of people telling their stories of having just having had everything stolen from them, and it's it's awful. That's just crazy to think about. That's crazy to think about. that. The amount of research that you had to do just to do this hike had to be like – your head had to be spinning getting ready for this thing. Oh, yeah, completely. And it's like, you know, the things that I wouldn't, that I thought I'd prepare for that turned out to be a waste of time because there's no point planning a route when a landslide's going to change it and then you completely on a different road than you're ever going to be. And then there are other things that I was not prepared for, like my bank cards expiring and not being able to access money. Um, and then the Darien Gap, I mean, yeah, I've been looking into that for a really long time, but actually that just came down to faith and hoping that if I walked that far, because keeping in mind when I started, I really didn't think I would be able to get as far as I have. Um, I just had to have faith that I would somehow be able to work it out. And it's the generosity of people who have done similar hikes um, and worked in that area for them to share their information with me because you can't just share, you know, you're putting people at risk by giving this, them this information if they're going to go in and be adventure cowboys. You can't just right. go in. It's not appropriate and you will be deported. So um, if you're caught by the safe guys, you know, and if you're not caught, if you're caught by someone else, you know, like would you go into a war zone? Pro probably not. Maybe you would, I don't know, but it's just, it's serious. So I really try hard um, to believe that the solution will present itself, but I don't just take the easy solution, you know, like you can get desperate when you've oh, got yeah. a goal, but I'm very willing to accept, I was willing to accept that perhaps that was just one section that I couldn't pass because of political reasons. And I just have to hope that people would still recognize the, um, the the record and the achievement yeah that's true well we got some more lighthearted stuff on here too um chris Acconi, he said questionable cheese to which uh girl plus dog adventures responded with she definitely cut the cheese so uh i don't know if that's a phrase in australia but that's a that's a uh, phrase for flagellants or passing gas here in the united states so uh you were probably passing, you know, I don't think we need to go any further with that. Um, also, uh, we have a, uh, a super chat from Jessica Holworth uh, for $1.99. Thank you so much, Jessica, for the super chat. That's very kind of you. Um, I'll tell you what. We are at about 56 minutes into this thing, and it is time for us to share the poop story of the night, because this is something people want to know about. This is hard hitting, important journalistic work we're doing here. And so will you share with us um, the story that you, you couldn't tell earlier? Would you share that with us right now? Uh, happily. So um, I 
had walked my first thousand kilometers and that was the area where my backpack had broken because it was overloaded and um i had had boils on the back of my feet and i was just really miserable and struggling and in patagonia you can drink any water you like because it's completely crystal clean and pure um and i just met a lady and i was she was saying to me, you can definitely do this. You're going to be the first woman. And internally, I was like, you don't even know me. Like, I'm quitting. <laughs> and she kind of, <laughs> but she'd made a point to say, you need to be kind to yourself. You need to take time off and rest and recover because you're walking too far too soon and too many days. And she said, why don't you, you've got enough food. Um, why don't you just stop at this lake and take a day off? So I thought, you know what, that's a good idea. I will. So I decided to try and eat everything out of my pack and um, have a nice that time. Um, but actually, I was using the water out of the lake. And as it turns out, this is the only place where you really can't drink the water because a town nearby uses it to um, release all of their sewage. Oh. <laughs> and... And so, of course, it's the first time I've had to, like, I've got to bust out of my tent as fast as possible, but it's the first time that the zip on my tent got jammed and I couldn't, un like, get the get out of the tent. And by the time I'd, like, opened it and run to get somewhere, who cares, no one's around, but I started to pull my pants down and completely filled my underwear. Oh, oh, oh no! So I had to waddle down to the water to wash myself off, and I didn't know at this point that the water wasn't drinkable. So I just kept trying to stay hydrated, and then I'm walking to the next town, and I get to the road, and it's an intersection, but it's sort of six in the morning, so it's only just lights coming up, and suddenly I have another bout of really horrific diarrhea and I've only got like one stream of toilet paper left so I'm making sure that I'm finished and meanwhile whatever cars has been past me and it's windy so I like pull out this last bit of toilet paper and the wind snatches it from my hands and it just goes sailing like for never to seen again so I'm just having to use like bits of my like spare clothes to try and get myself clean and walkable and then I get into town and this doctor that I saw is you know a hiker and an alpinist who probably doesn't really appreciate women in the outdoor industry because <laughs> he was basically like oh you just need to like stop being so weak about it and he was really negative and then he's like what? and you know maybe you were eating food that was off blah 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 and actually i it was him that told me oh well obviously you were drinking the water out of the lake you shouldn't do that and i was just like oh well thank you thank you for that <laughs> oh my goodness so you're you're sick and you're having all this stuff happen and you're going back to the water that was causing it and getting more of it in you Oh, mm. that's that's my terrible. doctor has taught me. Yeah, you've got to stay hydrated. So I was just trying to do everything I could so that I'd get too unwell when I was just dosing myself. Um, and actually, nowadays, I don't. If I get sick, I don't care. Like, there's been a number of times where I haven't been able to get to the toilet fast enough, and I don't know how this is possible. But I have never, not once, not caught the poo. In my underwear, like I've always been able to undo my shoes and take off my socks. This is after the accident. Take off my socks, 
get my leggings off, which is my usual choice of clothing, and not now because of mosquitoes, and remove my underwear without spilling any of it. Goodness. It's like a miracle. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Well, listen, it has been awesome having you on here. This has been fun. And I, I want you to promise me something, if you could. When you get to the States and you start, you know, you start getting on the PCT, CDT, whatever it is you end up doing, let's do this again. Let's do this again. Oh, we have to. Jeremiah is going to upgrade his internet. You'll have better internet. <laughs> um, it'll be great. But uh, we'd love to get you back on here because I, I want to hear the stories through Central America and Mexico. And I want to hear how everything goes through that area as well. And uh, yeah. real quick, can you share how people can find you online? Oh, yeah. So I'm most active on Instagram. Um, if you search Lucy and Wombat, you'll see it. But my handle is actually Tangles and Tail, which represents my hair and Wombat's tail. Uh, and I have just started trying to put up videos on YouTube. And you can find that doing the same thing. But it's actually the handle is Lucy Barnard. Very cool. Very cool. And I do know that you also have a website that has links for a bunch of stuff on it. So I'm going to throw that up here too. And That's those also stories. And tail. Yes. If you want the true horror of that story, because I had to cut it, but obviously um, it's under a blog called, um, I might as well have um, gone to the toilet and taken a selfie or something along those lines. <laughs> That title alone makes me want to go read it now. Well, either way, thank you so much for being on tonight. If you'll just hang out in the green room for just a couple minutes, uh, we'll come back and chat with you in just a second. All right, Mr. Jeremiah. What a story. What a night, man. This has been an adventure. This has probably been the most adventurous um, live stream we've ever had. I feel bad that you didn't get as much time to talk this time. Yeah. There's so many things I still want to ask, so I definitely want to have her back on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Jeremiah, um, we missed you. I was I was kind of depressed all night. Yeah, you'll have to put me on my misery on this one, man. I don't know what the deal is. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everybody knows that you're the personality of this, this podcast, and so not having <laughs> you here, just there was an empty place in my heart tonight. But you know what? We're going to get you back on here, obviously, next week. So uh, we've got some. We've got a really interesting guest coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, next week, I think, is going to be maybe a more of a maybe a Q&A night or something like that. Uh, but the week after, we actually have a doctor who works with Scratch Labs. Um, and it's a, it's a sports drink company that provides uh, hydration tools for people and uh, she's going to share a lot of really interesting information. She was part of the Outdoor Vitals 100-mile challenge, and I'm part of that, and I got to watch her talk about some things. And She was super fascinating with the stuff that she knew, and I think it's going to be a good conversation that week. But, Jeremiah, when are you going backpacking again? Uh, I think here in a couple weekends. Nice. I'm going out Thursday night. I'm going out Thursday night. It's been a minute since I've gotten to go, so I'm really excited. Um, but I cannot wait until there's a time when you and I can get back out on a trail and hang out because it's been a minute. 
Yeah, we should see if we can make it happen in May. We need to make it happen. We got to do it before you take off for Europe for your big trip. Oh, yes. Yeah, starting the Camino June 1st. Oh, I cannot wait to see those videos and hear all about it, man. So for myself and for Jeremiah, thank you all for sticking with us tonight. It's been a crazy, crazy ride. So thank you to everyone who stuck around. We love you guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, cool.